Little did I know when I set up several weeks ago that I would be preaching on comfort and compassion tonight, that uh, we'd be in a situation where that's exactly what we need. And so um, that's kind of where I'm headed tonight, uh, uh, comfort and compassion. And I will say that this is the last night of Jesus brings hope now. He's still going to keep bringing it, but that's the last subject that I'll be dealing with for these three weeks. Beginning next week, Jesus brings hope later. We're going to talk about heaven for two weeks. That's our plan. And uh, hey, if you know anybody who's not ready to go, uh, do everything you can to get them here. Or maybe they're just curious. Um, I know over the years, in a lot of places where I've spoken, uh, a lot of people showed up because they were just curious about heaven, and uh, now they're going. So that's kind of what we're going to try to do is try to get people into heaven and help them have a better trip on the way. So that's where we're headed with Jesus Brings Hope Now and Later. John, I know you spoke on, on kind of fasting on Sunday and like turning off the TV and internet and all that stuff. I thought yesterday was a little over the top. Uh, I was sitting up about two or three o'clock this morning with a little lamp, uh, a battery-powered lamp, trying to see some things that I hope I was going to say today. I had kind of an Abraham Lincoln flashback or something. It was just like crazy, and of course it has been crazy. I remember coming out here to before this was built, and we had had a, a, a bad uh, storm come through, and we had a guest speaker who was coming. I can't remember who it was, and of course, uh, the, the, that meant the pastor was out of town and other people, and this place was an island. I mean, it, it doesn't flood here, but it was surrounded by water. I had a big Tahoe, and I just kind of forded the stream to get out here, and Jimmy was here, and I preached a sermon called, When the Storms Come. And uh, me and just a handful of other people were in that old thing. And here I am preaching on, on comfort and courage for tonight. So I don't know. Maybe they won't ask me again. I, I, maybe not. So we need hope uh, in comfort and encouragement. You know, people sometimes are going through difficult times, and, and this is no exception. I read some, uh, my wife taught school for 40 years, so she's heard plenty of these uh, excuses that people uh, used for not being able to go to school. And I, I know Deer Parks, uh, I don't know when they're going to go to school because uh, of electric, electricity. And, uh, and we had some issues in Pasadena as well, I don't know about over Baytown. So these are excuses that people sent to school. My son is under a doctor's care and should not take PE, please. Ex execute him. <laughs> Seems a little, little much. Mary could not come to school today because she is bothered with very close veins. I don't know how old Mary is. That's not something. Please excuse Ray on Friday. He has loose vowels. Please excuse Jimmy for being, it's his father's fault. <laughs> those are actual things. I, I'm not making those up. Well, I don't know what our excuse is for going through hard times, difficult times. Sometimes we don't need one and we don't have one because it's just, we're just victims. We're, 
we're suffering, we're hurting, we're having a difficult time, we're challenged by uh, the things that happen in life. So what does comfort actually mean? Jesus said, I'll send you the comforter, so it must be something very important. Comfort in Latin is translated with strength, with strength. So what you're saying is that comfort imparts strength to someone else who needs it, with strength. In uh, Greek, it actually is translated relationships, with strength and relationships. So it's the idea of coming along beside. So it's kind of like paraclete, uh, advocate, someone who comes alongside you and helps you you know, maybe puts their arms around you physically, but is able to help you and comfort you and encourage you through different different situations. And and we know there are going to be those. First Peter 4.12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering. Why does that ring a bell to anybody here tonight? Don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. No, it's going to happen. Not pessimistic, realistic. James, First James, uh, uh, two four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, some of us <laughs> we we think we have enough perseverance. I mean, we've been through enough stuff that we think we do, but that's not our call. The truth is we, we're developing and we should be progressing and being more sensitive to others and the will of God as time goes by. So I just want to throw out a few things that I think are examples of Jesus responding with comfort, and they may strike you as strange. I mean, we we're going to talk about Lazarus in a, in a second, and, you know, we we know the story of Lazarus and how comforting Jesus was in that situation. But did you ever think about Jesus being comforted, comforting, say, to the, uh, the, the young man who was, uh, uh, was possessed by demons? He said, well, no, no, no. He, he healed him. He delivered him. That's not comfort. I think it is. It certainly was to his family who were suffering with him and, and hurting for him and would have done practically anything they could to deliver him from this, this really horrible thing he was going through. He was enduring, but they delivered him. He, he, I think it's comfort. How about Jairus' daughter? Not the daughter, Jairus and his family. Don't you think it was comforting that she came back? I mean, she may have been positive or negative about it after she'd seen glory and was delivered back here, but they were comforted because she was still there. So Jesus is very much into comfort and deliverance. I have a picture, I think I sent it today, the picture of me speaking on, yeah, there it is. Isn't that a nice shirt? Uh, the mantle hanging down of the, the, uh, the, uh, the leaves, that's a special gift uh, to, a, to an, uh, somebody who's visiting a church. Uh, it's, it's a, it has symbolic nature in, uh, among the Hawaiians. And of course, there's some other lays there too, but that's a, and behind me in the distance, you can't see it is, is Maui. So I think I've mentioned here before, I'm speaking, this is a banyan tree, this massive tree, and I'm speaking, the praise band's over here beside me, and the audience is out here, and they're looking past me at Maui. 
And I'm thinking, you know, I could do handstands up here and they wouldn't be paying attention to me. That island is in the distance. But on Molokai, it's a long, narrow island and it's um, very lightly populated. 94% of it is owned by one man, a billionaire, needless to say, and um, very few people on the island. What people don't realize is the other side of the island, where you can hardly go at all, is the leper colony. And it's been there for a long, long time. You may have heard of Father Damien. Father Damien founded this leper colony in the Catholic Church now. He's, he's Saint Damien. And uh, he's buried there. He developed leprosy himself after uh, ministering and comforting and encouraging these people for a long time. Jesus encountered lepers, and there was hardly anybody who was more disdained than they were. And he not only healed them, he, 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 gave, he gave them comfort and the people who loved them who couldn't even go near them. So he was about not just performing miracles in the sense that he healed people, but that he delivered them and, and encouraged them and comforted them. He was compassionate towards them. Last one I'm thinking about is the, the woman caught in adultery. You say, well, now that's an in interesting example. Why would you bring that up? Well, we, we know what happened. She was hauled in and she was caught. You know, who knows what happened to the guy? Nobody was trying to stone him, but here she is. And they're trying to trick Jesus into condemning her because that's the law. She should be stoned to death. What a way to go. And um, they got the rocks. And so they're getting ready to dispatch her. And uh, Jesus looks at the guys and says, all right, I know the law. If you, well, I'll tell you what, if you don't have any sin in your life, you can throw a rock at this lady. Well, at least they were honest uh, and they were, you know, they, they knew that they did have sin in their life. They thought hers was a lot worse than her, theirs, but they, they dropped the rocks and they walked away. And um, he tells her that her sins are forgiven, but go and sin no more. I don't know. If that's not compassion and, and comfort, I don't know what is. I mean, she's on the verge of being killed on the spot. Now she's, she's going to walk away from this, hopefully to a, a much better life than the one she had been living up to this point. So, Jesus is interested in comfort. He wants us to be comforted, and he wants us to comfort others. Some of you may remember that I um, narrated the singing Christmas tree a uh, year before last, and uh, I thought it was one of the best scripts I, I'd ever written. Hannah Herwick uh, Crocker wrote it, and... Um, I'm going to read a piece of it here because I think it's just the best way I've ever heard this expressed, uh, the grace, the comfort. It's found in John chapter 11, the story is, if you want to follow along with it or read it in case it's uh, not quite that familiar with you. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So this is, this is a... This is an order, and this is a truth uh, that those of us who mourn uh, should be comforted. So, here's Hannah's script. When Jesus was 30 years old, he began his ministry, 
teaching, and healing those in need all around him, even if it was sometimes a different healing than what they wanted. Catch that. He fed thousands, and with a single basket of food, he gave sight to the blind. But when his own personal friend, that's Lazarus, was terminally ill, Jesus wasn't there. In fact, he purposely delayed going to him. The heartbroken family begged him to intervene. From what we understand, they reached out to Jesus on several times, trying to get him to come. Emergency. You know, Lazarus is very ill. Come quickly. But instead, what they got was silence. And sometimes when we're going through really long, dark nights, it seems like that's all we get. We're listening. We're waiting. We need a word. And it seems like that's all we get, silence. But listen to this. The family confronted him. Because when Jesus arrived, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Remember that favorite verse, behold, he stinketh. Yeah, it's that bad. Haven't we said this before? Haven't we experienced this before? Where were you? Where are you? We're hurting down here. I'm hurting down here. We're having problems. We have issues. The electricity's off. House is gone. We're hurting. Where are you? And this is what they said to Jesus. If you had just been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you'd just been here. Now, they're, they're upset. They're kind of put out with Jesus. They're there confronted him. So the question is asked, can we confront God, Jesus? Well, he confronts us. I mean, it's not a, it's not a this for that type thing, but I mean, the reality of it is God would rather hear from you on any level than he would have you ignore him. And sometimes that's how you have to start. I mean, how many times have you had a relationship with somebody that got off on the really wrong foot? Now, they're a friend closer than a brother. You had to go through all that. So if that's the, where you are, if you're angry at God, if you know somebody who is, and I meet them all the time, I mean, the truth is saying that is not going to offend God. He's God. But instead of responding to them with some kind of comeback or anger, instead of pointing his finger back at them when they were pointing theirs at him, he wept. He wept. He sat down beside them. Maybe one was on the other, Mary and Martha and his sisters, the ones that had sent for him. Maybe they're on both sides. He sat down with them and he wept. He cried. He cried over something that he could have prevented in the first place. Why did this happen? Why? Because this is a fallen world brothers and sisters. Everything is in God's control and under his authority, but at the same time, because of a man's sinful nature, birthed in Eden, this once flawless earth is broken and full of sin, which means it's full of death, the wages of sin, death. Yes, Jesus is a healer, 
but some still don't receive a physical healing. I've been asked, why didn't God heal Nicole? Well, when Nicole was diagnosed with stage four kidney cancer and she lost one of her kidneys, six years ago, right now, six years ago, this month, um, she was given about a year and a half. So if you ask me if God answered our prayers, I would say yes for six years. But in the fullness of time, he took her home to be with him where there is no cancer. Jesus is a healer, but some don't receive physical healing. How is there good in that? Hannah asked. How is there good in that? if we don't get healed. Well, we know how this story ends, don't we? We have the benefit of hindsight. We know the story of Lazarus. We've probably heard it many times in our life. We know how this ends. They didn't. They didn't have the benefit of that. They're just upset and angry and hurt that their brother is sick, and then he dies before Jesus even gets there. In fact, Jesus delayed his return. When the family was grieving, now listen to this, Jesus sat right down next to them in their tears and may not have given them the healing that they originally asked for, but he himself became the healing that they needed. Yeah. They asked for healing on earth. Instead, he gave them comfort from heaven. What's better than that? They asked for intervention but instead he gave them a supernatural peace this world cannot even understand. He was close in a way that they never would have felt if he had done what they wanted him to do when they wanted him to do it. Before he brought life to their brother, he brought life to their faith. Boy, that's beautiful. That's really good, and that's really what happened. I'm kind of a Lazarus myself. You know, I was killed in a car wreck, declared dead by four paramedics, and I'm not in your dream and you're not in mine. We're really here. So I, I kind of have a glimpse of that. He makes us like Lazarus, all of us, all of us, not here on earth, but in the world to come, he makes us like Lazarus. So, he gives us comfort in, in times that we need it. Well, what about us and others? What should we do with the comfort that God has received or has put upon us? How do we, how do we respond to that? Max Lucado is one of my favorite writers and and he's wrote, written a story about a parakeet named Chippy, Chippy the parakeet. I'm going to talk about my uh, grandma Piper in just a moment. And my grandma Piper had a parakeet that never stopped unless it was covered up. Otherwise, it was singing constantly. Which now that I think back about it, it's, it seemed annoying at the time. And now I imagine a creature that's just that happy all the time. And, and she was. Here's, here's a Cato story. 
Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, the next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problem began when Chippy's owner decided to clean the Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment at the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage, and the phone rang at the same minute, and she turned to pick it up, and she had barely said hello, then <laughs> Chippy gets sucked into the vacuum cleaner. The owner is gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum cleaner, opened up the bag, and there was Chippy, still alive, but stunned. Since the bird was covered in dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced into the bathroom, turned on the faucet, and held Chippy under the faucet and running water. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner should do. She reached for the hair dryer and blasted him with hot air. <laughs> A few days later, the neighbor who knew all this and was aware of all this happened went to check on Chippy. <laughs> And she said, well, how is he doing? And the owner said, well, not much. Jippy just doesn't sing anymore. He just sits there and stares. Well, he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. And that's enough to steal anybody's song, don't you think? Well, a lot of us have had our songs stolen. And so... If we've been comforted, what do we do to comfort others? This is my grandfather. Uh, everyone called him Joe Sox. He was a welder, a union carpenter. He was a lumberjack during the Depression. He was missing fingers. You can't really see it on his hands there. We have very few pictures of him. He did not like his picture taken. And uh, everybody called him Joe. It's, I could tell you now, since he's no longer here on the planet, that his first name was Alva, A-L-V-A. You could see that he did not like that at all. So he became Joe. My grandmother died. The first funeral I ever went to, my grandmother, Piper, died, not my, my uh, mother's father. His name was Joe Culbeth, K-U-L-B-E-T-H, very unusual name. But my grandmother died. They had grown up together. Uh, my grandmother, the father, I mean, the mother of my father and, and him, my, uh, the father-in-law of my father. They'd gone, lived a couple of streets, three or four streets across each other. And there was a railroad track between them. Uh, the joke in that family was they never could decide who lived on the wrong side of the track. Uh, in some ways, you know, they both did, but um, poor, poor folk. And uh, so, uh, grandmother had a stroke at age 12. Her name was Nellie Clemens Piper, maiden name Clemens. We were related to that bunch up in Missouri, Illinois, that wrote books about Tom Sawyer, that Clemens. But she married a Piper. And uh, she was a great lady. She was a mother of 10 children, five girls and five boys. She died. And so we were to go to her funeral, which was way out in the country at a, at a, a little Methodist church. She was a Methodist, but it was the church by the, fun by the cemetery where all the pipers were buried. And so we went in, not, I have no experience with this whatsoever. I went with Papa, Joe Sox. And so we in, barely got into the church. It was about twice as many people there as could sit in the church, but it didn't matter because it was 105 degrees and there was no 
air conditioner. So it was just brutal. And they had a ladies' quartet that they probably couldn't sing if you held a gun on them. They were just, I mean, they were, they were doing their best behind an arbor of flowers. And the piano had not been tuned since it left the factory. So I, it was just that kind of miserable day. And the pastor went on interminably. And I'm sitting in the back row. But he sang really nice things about Grandma Piper. And I'm listening because she was my grandmother. And suddenly, there's a lot of sniffling and crying going on in the service. I hear crying beside me, beside me. I turned up there and Joe Sox was crying. Never saw that before. Never saw him cry before. That's just not what he did. But he was crying. He loved this lady up here. She was a lifelong friend of his. She was my grandmother. And he's crying. Well, the dam broke for me. I've been trying to be a big boy, which was ridiculous. But I started crying with him. And he put his arm around me and comforted me. I'll never forget what he did. He gave me permission to hurt and cry, and he cried with me. That's what we should do. That's what we should do. That's why we're here. In this book that I wrote over 20 years ago, there's a chapter called Turning or Touching Lives, Touching Lives. And I put this in there on purpose, not knowing and not even dreaming that 20 years later I would be reading it in a setting like this. It's 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, very familiar to many of us. Listen, all praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of every mercy and the God who comforts us. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. That's what we're here for. That's why we remain. That's why we overcome. That's why we endure. That's why we experience grandpa putting his arm around me and saying, without saying anything, I understand how you feel, and I'm so sorry for your loss. Sometimes words are not involved, frankly. Oh my goodness. How many times have we spent in the last few weeks with people just sitting beside each other? It's enough. Well, there's a lot of people that are experiencing a lot of hurt right now and all kinds, and particularly now after the tornado yesterday. So uh, find out what you can do and do it, even if it's just putting your arm around somebody and being there. Six young men were slated to compete against one another in a race in Seattle. The event was a 100-yard dash. The men lined up. They waited for the starting gun, and bang, they took off in a sprint. About halfway down the track, the man who was in the front of the six runners stumbled and fell and skinned himself up big time. Amazingly, the other five men stopped and helped him get up. They brushed him off, and when they were sure he was unhurt, 
they decided to finish the race together, holding hands. None of the judges could tell which one should get the blue ribbon. None of them could see through their tears. No one, no one in the stands that day will ever forget that demonstration of comfort and compassion. As the race ended, the crowd stood and cheered for 10 minutes. These young men, of course, were competing for the Special Olympics, and they showed that audience that they cared more for a fallen friend than winning a race. I think that's what God is looking for. He's looking for followers that care more about a fallen friend than winning the race. We win the race, I mean, we do. But in the meantime, we have much work to do. I mean, people could stand up and testify tonight that there are a lot of things you couldn't have possibly gotten through if somebody hadn't been there for you. I understand, I do. So what does this bring? Where does this lead? Where does comfort eventually wind up? Because we know that we'll take our last breath here one day, and if we're ready for heaven, we'll take our next breath there. We'll be talking about it the next two weeks. So what about that? Where does this lead? Listen to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Now, it's amazing how many of these verses that I have looked at tonight, some of which I quoted and some of which I haven't, start with this, <laughs> this salutation. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good start. Anytime you see that, you know something good is going to follow afterwards. 1 Peter 1.3. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you can greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even through, though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Oh my, what a glorious, a glorious entreaty this is. What a glorious thing to tell you what awaits us and the trials that we'll have on the way, but what awaits us and we can have comfort and consolation and com compassion because God has compassion on us in the fact that we have a better place than this. What an incredible comfort that is, knowing where we're going when this is all over. And as if to emphasize that, skip down to verse 12, it says this, listen to this. It was revealed to them, meaning the prophets who prophesied all this, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And when they spoke of the things that have been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you and by the Holy Spirit from heaven. In other words, 
this has all come together. The prophecies, the gospel, the preachers, all those people have brought us to this point where the Holy Spirit tells us how to get to heaven and we can go there. And then here's the last verse of that section. Listen to this. Even angels long to look on these things. I mean, how good can you get? I mean, the angels are interested in this. I mean, they don't need a savior. They don't need to be saved. But the angels are expecting this. They're looking at this. They're looking at this process of creation and the process of failed man and the process of, of reconciliation through Christ and salvation, the great gift of salvation, the hope of eternal life, these things, and they're watching it because the prophets have prophesied, the preachers have preached, the gospel's been shared, and the angels are fascinated by this. They're looking at this, and they marvel at how much God loves us. Oh, I know he created the angels too, but they're not like us. They're different from us. Jesus didn't die for them. He died for us. What a comfort that is. Even the angels have noticed. Can you imagine that? Angels in heaven, the presence of glory, the majesty of God, yet they long to look into this message of salvation that we get to hear, we get to read, we get to proclaim. The phrase looked into is the same phrase that describes when Peter peered into the tomb on Easter Sunday. Same phrase, looked into. When he looked into the tomb, that's what they're doing. The angels are looking into the salvation experience for human beings. Salvation. What does it mean? They asked to look at the amazing salvation and what it does to our lives. What does being born again into the family of God result in. The angels are interested in this. I find this fascinating because I don't really see any other episodes in which angels are, of course, they're very much aware and they're actually messengers and, and uh, protectors and they have lots of roles, but realistically, they are fascinated by the salvation experience that we alone are offered and can receive. The salvation, this fellowship, this fellowship of believers, this communion, the grace that we experience, the grace that we received. We sang about it just a few moments ago. And the comfort that we received in times of trouble. We have a living hope. We have joy unspeakable. We have glory. We have eternal life. That's what we need to share. And sometimes it just starts with comfort being there for people who are hurting. How many times, even our own lives, forget history, how many times in our own lives have we started a relationship with somebody who's hurting, who has no faith or very little faith or faith in something else, that because of our care, because of our compassion, because of our understanding, they turn to Jesus. It's an open door. The angels are looking at it. They're fascinated by it. And we should be too. The God of comfort, who comforts us so that we can comfort others. One of my favorite writers of all time is C.S. Lewis. A great novelist, a great writer, a great professor, 
a great um, teacher. His story is told in a movie called Shadowlands. It's a hard movie to watch in some ways, and I, I, I hesitate to give you the plot of it, but I, I, I will because it's, it shows how God can comfort us so that we can comfort others. He's a professor at a very prestigious university in England, has all kinds of degrees, a brilliant, absolutely brilliant person. Unexpectedly, he falls in love with an American woman, and they get married, and she has a little boy. So he's an instant father, not something he ever thought he would ever do. But he loves this little boy, and he, he certainly loves her. And they're married, and they have the happiest of existence. His other fellow professors make fun of him sometimes. They can't believe he did this, and they can't believe he's a Christian because, you know, really smart people don't do that kind of thing at the university. But he did, very, very firm believer. The lady develops cancer and fights the good fight, but she dies. So that's what happens. But the movie starts with C.S. Lewis in a classroom with students, uh, obviously graduate level students, uh, theolo theology students. And he's giving a lecture on suffering and pain and comfort. And he's very eloquent. The words are phenomenal, what he's saying. I mean, that's the way the movie starts in the classroom where he's teaching on comfort and encouragement and, and suffering and pain and overcoming. And then the movie starts, the rest of it, all the way to the end uh, with the little boy and his father holding on to each other and crying, just like Papa and me. The movie ends with Dr. Lewis back in the classroom, teaching this very same lecture that he had taught at the beginning of the movie, but much life has passed. And when he talks about suffering, and he talks about pain, and he talks about comfort, the same lecture notes come across totally differently. In some ways, I'll never be C.S. Lewis, but I understand how he feels. I've preached about comfort for years. I've talked about heaven for decades, but I feel closer now, and I feel like I have much comforting to do as long as I'm alive, encouraging people into heaven and helping them have a better trip on the way. Jesus brings hope through comfort, and Lord knows we need it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, this time together. This is so important and, and it just means so much. It's wonderful to see this group of people come out on a Wednesday night and have a service like this. I'm just humbled to be a part of it, truly. So thank you for letting me be here. Lord, I pray uh, for folks all over this area who simply don't know what tomorrow will bring at this point. They don't know how long it's going to take to get a place to live. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. They don't really know, in some cases, where someone else is. They don't even have any forms of communication. The power is down. The phones are off. I mean, Lord, just comfort them, encourage them, and use us. Show us how we might, how we might touch their lives and help them. And Lord, I'm praying for sensitivity amongst us all. 
that sometimes, you know, we, we, we'll be around someone and, and then suddenly their conversation, you realize they need help. They need someone who cares. And sometimes it's just a kind word. Sometimes it's a smile. Sometimes it means leaning over and putting your arm around them and crying with them. If that's what you need us to do, oh God, help us to do that. I pray that we will constantly be a loving church and we'll be very sensitive to the needs of the community. But Lord, let it start with me and let it be real because there'll come a time when you'll call us home and even the angels will be fascinated with that. They'll be blown away by it because it's a measure of your love for us. Thank you for saving our souls. Thank you for making us whole. And thank you, remarkably, for using us to do your work. We offer this prayer in the name of the one who's building us a better place, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.